Well, welcome back. Here we are at Sold once again. Uh, just as a reminder for those of you that forgot or those of you that weren't with us in the fall, we've been going through Matthew chapter 5, his sermon, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in the fall, we talked about the Beatitudes, those blessed are statements, things like blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. So we're going to continue through Matthew chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 5, whether it be a physical Bible or an electronic one, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Um, we're going to be doing the last beatitude slash the very next section where it transitions all of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So we're doing the last blessed our statement and then kind of the beginning the transition to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And this semester, we're going to keep going through Matthew 5 and talking about what these, things, these words of Jesus and what he says. So uh, would you stand as I read God's word? We're going to focus on verses 10 through 12 tonight, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 so we can remember the context that we've been through last year. So this is God's word, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And our verses for tonight. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's living and active word. Let me pray for us. <coughs> Father in heaven, would you give us hope and comfort in your words through Jesus, we pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. I want you to imagine this. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the early church in the book of Acts. So, Jesus is risen from the dead. You've seen the risen Jesus. And then he ascends into heaven, and then you're in, you're in Jerusalem at Pentecost, and you see the Holy Spirit literally descending as tongues of fire on people's shoulders, okay? You've seen all this. Then Peter goes out and preaches, and in one day, 3,000 people come to know Jesus, okay? Imagine you're a part of this, and there's more. People begin to be healed miraculously. At one point, you're praying with all of your Christian brothers and sisters for boldness, and the room you're praying in starts shaking because the Holy Spirit is there. Imagine this is you. Imagine you're in this, okay? The next thing that happens, everybody's being healed, is you're arrested and you're put in prison. But then you're in prison and an angel comes and frees you and says, hey, go back and preach the gospel again. So you go back and you preach the gospel again, and then you're arrested again and you're beaten and then turn loose. What might you be feeling? Open-ended question. Y'all can answer. What might you be feeling at that, at that point? Yeah, disgusting. Yeah? Yeah? Certainly. A light confused. Yes, confusion. Why? Good. Why, why would you be confused? Because a whole lot of things just happened, and I don't have a good explanation for any of them. Yeah? Yeah? Michaela, do you have something else? Defeated. Defeated. Yeah? Yeah? Mad. Mad. Like, confused on why God want to help you, like, in that time. Yeah, yeah, there's some confusion because all these amazing things have happened. Then you were in prison, but then an amazing hap thing happened. The angel got you out, but then you obeyed the angel and you land yourself back in prison and you were beaten, right? You would be really confused. And 
It makes sense because sometimes we equate success with good things happening, with things being easy, right? If I'm on the right path, things will go well for me, things will go easy. And if something's not going easy and if something is difficult, we often say, maybe I'm not doing the right thing. Or if somebody is telling us, hey, you shouldn't be doing that, then we think, okay, maybe we're, we're in the wrong, we're not doing the right thing. Also, if something is both good and bad, it's really hard to determine what's going on, right? If something is really good at the same time really bad, we're like, well, what do I do? Right? And especially if people tell you to stop doing something, like I said before, you think, okay, well, maybe I should listen to them, right? I shouldn't do things that are just so difficult. But yet, Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, blessed, happy, good, people that are living the right way if they're persecuted. On the face of it, that makes no sense, right? That's the kind of confusion we're talking about, like in Acts chapter 5. That's confusing. So we're going to talk about why this is the case. And in order to talk about it, we're going to break it down like we've broken down all the other Beatitudes in the fall, which is who is blessed and why are they blessed. So first, who is blessed? Let me read verses 10 through 12, and I want you to listen and think, who is blessed? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, who does it say is blessed? What do y'all think? What, what does it say? Blessed are... That is there, yeah. yeah. But in, in verse 10, blessed are those who are what? Persecuted, persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's the first, that's the first one, right, in, in, our, in our passage tonight. Okay. So in order to understand what persecuted for righteousness sake is, we need to stop and say, well, what does it mean to be persecuted? So when I use the word persecution or persecuted, what comes to your mind? Hurt. Hurt, yeah. Being persecuted for like your faith and you're in a different country or like from a government that's not okay with your worship. Yeah, a government's not okay with your worship, and so they're actively trying to get you not to worship. Yeah, there, there can be persecution through that. Yeah, what else comes to your mind when you think the word persecution? Torture, punishment. Yeah, torture, punishment. Yeah, yeah, those things. Good. So it could be easy when we hear the term persecution to say, wait a second. I know there are Christians who experience that. Those Acts 5 Christians experienced it. There are Christians around the world that experience it, but I don't experience it. And that's, sometimes we take that as our invitation to check out for the evening, right? That's not me. I'm just going to tune out, right? But let me put it this way. In our game tonight, right, we were trying to get the person up here to smile. If they laughed, that was great, because that's on the very far end of the spectrum, right? And in the same way, there's the gladness and joy, right? There's laughter on one end, but a smile is still a part of that spectrum somewhere, right? In the same way with persecution, sometimes we think about things at the very far end of the spectrum. Things like being tortured or killed for your faith, right? Being persecuted like that. But there are things all along the spectrum that count as persecution. So, for example... The Apostle Paul at one point lists all the ways he's been persecuted, his beatings, his imprisonments, all those things, and he lists a shipwreck. And you're like, that's not persecution, right? Like, somebody didn't wreck your ship, but he was following God's call and trying to spread the gospel, so he ended up on the ship, and the ship ended up being shipwrecked. And he recognizes, I'm doing God's will, and difficult things are happening to me because I'm trying to carry out God's will. And that's actually persecution. So even if we're not on the very far end of the spectrum, as we'll see tonight, there are still ways in which it is difficult and hard for us to be Christians, and we experience this kind of thing. So 
It's important to note, though, it doesn't just say blessed are you if you're persecuted for any reason. It says blessed are those who are persecuted for what? For righteousness' sake. So it's not just if any time you face persecution, then you're blessed. So, for example, if you fail to study for a test and then you fail the test, that's not persecution for righteousness' sake, right? That was you didn't study, you failed the test, right? There's, there's a difference there. So, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But this passage digs down even deeper in verse 11 and said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Notice that transition. In all the Beatitudes so far, it's been blessed are those, blessed are they, blessed are those people out there. What's the difference now? Blessed are you. It's as if Jesus is taking the spotlight and turning it on yourself and saying, you might experience this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. So when people speak badly about you, when people tell, when people tell lies about you, when they speak behind your back about you, that counts as persecution, even if it's not this very far extreme end of the spectrum that we're thinking of, right? But there are still, there are still ways we face opposition for being Christians. Also, note that it says falsely on my account. So it's not like people are saying things about you that are actually true. <laughs> it's when things are, people are saying terrible things about you that aren't true because you're following God. Essentially, what this is saying is, and what Jesus is saying, is that true faith brings persecution. And that seems on the face of it to be a really hard thing, right? Like, wait a second, if I'm doing the right thing, if I'm following what is true, should I really face difficulties, obstacles, persecution? But this is what the Bible teaches. Second Timothy says this, everyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. Nobody's let off the hook. Everyone, everyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. And in order to understand, right, Jesus gives them an example. He says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right? If you think about the Old Testament, there's so many books that have been preserved for us, and many of them are written by and are the oracles of prophets. But many of those prophets were persecuted. They were insulted. They were called names. They were cast out. They were killed. Tradition has it that one of them was literally sawn in two. So Jesus is saying, hey, you're a part of a tradition already, right? And this is what it means to follow God when the world around you doesn't always follow. But Jesus isn't asking you to do something that he doesn't do himself. Fast forward into John chapter 15. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he's speaking to his disciples the night of the Last Supper, and he says this. He's giving them instructions. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, the world hates you. Jesus is saying, actually, if you are a part of me, the world has hated me, so it's only natural and only makes sense that the world would hate you. Let me give you an example of this kind of suffering. Because when we think of suffering, we don't have a perspective on what good and helpful kind of suffering is. I want to talk about a guy named Barry Marshall. Has anybody ever heard of the name Barry Marshall? Probably, probably not, but it's an Australian guy. So in the 70s and 80s, he was studying, he's a scientist, studying on what produces ulcers and gastritis in the stomach. Not pleasant things, but he was trying to help people. And everybody was saying, well, it's stress and it's, it's you know, diet and exercise, it's genetics, that's all it is. And he kept seeing with his friend, one of his friends named Robin, that it's actually caused by bacteria in the stomach. 
but nobody would believe him. Everybody said, no, no, it's stress, it's genetics, it's all that. He couldn't get funding for his research. He couldn't do human trials. He couldn't try to prove himself. But you know what he did? He decided to experiment on himself. He took a cup, as the story goes, of meat broth with all the bacteria in it, and he drank it. Okay? And sure enough, he started to get gastritis. His stomach started to hurt. He started to have all that pain, right? Now, that seems crazy to us. But he was proving that he was right through his suffering. He was proved right by his suffering. And he was willing to do that because he knew that he was on the right track. He knew it would help people in the end. Now, we'll come back to Barry Marshall in a second. So, suffering actually can be proof that we're on the right track. So let me ask this then. Let me get really nitty-gritty. What does persecution look like for us? If it's not this extreme end of the scale, what might it look like? Well, we need to understand that any insults, hardships, and lies that we face for the Christian faith are suffering. Just because we face things that are hard, just because people say things about us, right, doesn't necessarily mean that we're, being, we're suffering for the Christian faith, and we'll kind of unpack this more in small groups. But think about this. I want you to imagine that uh, somebody doesn't invite you to something because they know that, okay, they're a Christian, so they don't do this kind of thing, right? You've missed out on an opportunity for community. There's an amount of suffering to that. If somebody speaks badly about you and says, oh, you're a Christian, you must believe this, this, and this right? And they're very unkind. That's somebody insulting you. That's somebody reviling you. And this, this happens even if we don't understand. Now, this isn't a license to be very prideful and arrogant about our faith because then our good people are going to be saying those things and they're actually going to be true, right? The key is that we need to be suffering for righteousness sake so that when they speak, they speak falsely. But what this passage tells us is that we should expect this to happen. It doesn't mean it's going to happen at all times. But it's telling us the Christian faith isn't always going to be easy. Oftentimes, it's going to be hard. Oftentimes, it's going to be difficult. Oftentimes, it's going to be costly. To know Jesus and follow him means we have to give things up. It means we have to give up sleep on a Sunday morning to come worship him at church. It means we've got to give up time on a Sunday night to come meet together. It means you might have to meet with people that you wouldn't normally be friends with, but because they go to your church, you're meeting with them, right? There are all kinds of things we face. You can't do what other people your age are doing. You can't say what other people your age are saying, right? And you can't respond to him, respond to them when they tell you all these things. That, oh, well, you're a Christian, so you think this. Or, oh, you're a Christian, you think that, right? And you can't respond in kind. You can't respond in anger, and it's difficult. People will insult you for what you believe. And if you haven't faced it now, praise the Lord for that. But it's, it's very probable that you will at some point in your life. And it's easy to say when we face suffering of any kind, it's easy to say, well, I'm out, right? Clearly, I'm on the wrong path if this is as hard as it is. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, know that it's coming and actually expect it. And it actually helps us to expect it because we know it's coming and we know why it's coming. So that's who Jesus says is blessed, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake and you for, other, for others when they revile you and speak falsely against you. So that's who is blessed. But that still hasn't made the connection of why that is, right? Like, okay, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Why is that the case? So why? Why are they, why are you, why are we blessed if this is us? Look back at the verses. Look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So 
this world is not the ultimate prize of the Christian, right? So when, you, when other people persecute you and when they cut you out of things and we don't have the community you want, <clears throat> know that this world is actually not all there is. That there's a kingdom that Christ has brought in and it's fully going to come to life one day when he comes back again. Theirs is the kingdom. Verses 11 and 12 actually give more on this. Look at verse 12. It says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. There is a heavenly reward that in the end, think about this huge scale, right? Suffering and persecution for your faith is difficult. And right now it feels like that's the weightiest thing and nothing can really balance out the scale. But what Christ is saying is if you only knew the glory that is coming, if you only knew what is to come, it would be so heavy that this weight now would be incomparable. That this would balance all the scales, that all would be right in the end if only you knew. And that's what he's saying. Great is the reward in heaven. That Jesus will reign. You know, the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, either out of fear or out of love. And what a gift will it be on that day to say, I loved him before. I was with him before. I walked with him. I endured these sufferings and these trials for him. And now he's shown to the world to be the true ruling and reigning king. So blessed are those who are in Jesus now because they will be with him later. Because Jesus came and died on the cross for us. And so because of that, actually, there is, a, there is a certainty that one day we will reign with him. I want to go back to the story of Barry Marshall for a second. One of the other things about his sufferings is that when he proved that it was bacteria causing all that pain, he could then just take antibiotics, a two-week course of antibiotics, and be cured, Right? So he knew, not only am I going to suffer, but this suffering will one day be wiped away and very quickly wiped away. But he also had to suffer and fight because people didn't believe his research. They didn't believe it. And finally, it was some you know, 30 or 40 years afterward when he won the Nobel Prize for medicine because they finally realized, actually, this saves millions of people's lives. This helps detect things, certain stomach cancers and all that sort of thing. And he was willing to undergo the pain of suffering in order to bring that life and that goodness to the world. He was willing to go undergo the suffering of his own physical body, knowing that if I'm right, I can just take this two-week course of antibiotics and be cured. He said, that is worth it to me. I want to give you another story of somebody who thought it was worth it to undergo that kind of suffering. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews tells us about all of these faithful saints from years and years and years in the past in the Old Testament. And it says this about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I'll read that last verse again for us. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And that's what Jesus is telling us when he's talking about the prophets that came before. He's linking us to them just like that. That our hope is that we're actually linked to, united to Christ. So that even though we undergo those sufferings, those difficulties, those persecutions now, we know what's coming, which is life. You see, at the core of this, the core of why persecution for us should be expected and actually should make us rejoice is because it tells us something fundamental to who we are as Christians. 
When we face suffering, when we face persecution, that is telling us that we are united with Christ. You see, if you have faith in Jesus, at the core of who you are, you're united with him. We actually heard something about this this morning in the sermon, if, if you were listening. Think about this. Union with Christ is essential to who we are as Christians. If we have faith in him, that means that we're united to Christ in his life, which means that his righteous life counts for us in our unrighteousness. We're united to him in his death, which means his, his death paid the penalty for our sins so that we can, be we can be forgiven. And we're united with him in his resurrection, which means one day we will be fully resurrected. But we're so united to Christ that he says, hey, if the world hates you, know that it hated me. He's saying that when we suffer for righteousness sake, when we're persecuted for following what is right and true and good, it means we're united to Jesus. And actually that should make us rejoice to say, well, good, this is who I want to be united to in the first place. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it means we have a greater perspective because we know that we're united with Christ. I want to go back to that passage in Acts and thinking through, right? Put yourself in those shoes of those people. So they're beaten after being, this, after second, being in prison for the second time. And you know what Acts, Acts says? This is what Acts says in chapter 5. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And it tells us that they went on speaking God's word and they did not cease. Let me read that again. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They understand that they're suffering for Christ, which means they're so united to him now in what is painful and difficult that they will be united to him in glory when he comes again and is raised from the dead. And this is our hope. So we don't shrink back from difficulties. We don't shrink back from trying to live a godly and faithful life even when it's difficult. We understand that that's going to come because we're united to Christ. But that also means there's a glory that's going to be revealed that is greater than all these things. And that's our hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a heavenly perspective that comes down into our world so that we might see it, understand it. Lord, it's hard. It's hard to face things that are difficult. We don't like it. We don't want it. But Lord, you've shown us that you were united to Christ. And so that when we face suffering and persecution for his name, you're showing us that we're with him. And though we're with him now in things that are painful and difficult, we will one day be with him in eternal glory. Lord, would you give us that hope would you give us courage and strength by your spirit to enter into that which is difficult? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.